Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
Hi, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is Sunday, July 21st. I can't believe we're almost done with July. The year is more than halfway over. I tell you, as we get all the time, just keeps going by quicker and quicker. I apologize. I've been really sick this week under the weather. I have a sinus infection and bronchitis, so forgive me if I cough and, and sound a little stuffy here. But we're going to get to today's show because we've got a great guest tonight. Jim Harris from Silent Storm is our guest. We'll be talking to Jim in about a half hour. We're going to get as much music as we can between now and then. We started things off with Satan, one of my all-time favorite bands. And the last three records they've put out since coming back with that classic lineup have been nothing short of masterpieces. I mean, they're one of the few bands that have recaptured that earliest sound and vibe of the band that kind of, you know, made them famous and what they're known for and recreated, but yet didn't sound dated. You know, modern, for some reason, modern seems to be a bad word in heavy metal in a lot of circles. And they're not modern records. They're just newer sounding records, but with that classic vibe of the old school stuff. I love it. And I'm blessed that they've been here in the U.S. quite a few times since we united and have gotten to see them at least twice. So hopefully 2020, we'll see Satan here in the U.S. once again. All right, let's keep the music flowing here. How about Alias Mangala? That's on foot.
Tank, the Phil Towns of Hades coming off their first record. We had Algie on the show years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, and that was one of the strangest interviews I ever did. A sweet guy, really nice guy. It might be a medication he's on for his back. I don't know, but it was a real strange one. Almost as strange as the first interview we did with Evo. Uh, when I when I found him, yeah, I remember Warfare was kind of down and out for like 20 years. They weren't doing anything. The band was dissolved. Nothing was happening. But I just wanted to interview Evo because I heard he was a crazy guy. And that first interview was a real strange one too. I guess he was feeling me out and testing me to see if I really knew anything about the band. But we became really good friends after that. And I've had Evo on the show probably half a dozen times since then. And he's always a funny bastard when he's on. I love talking with him. Go back and listen to those interviews in the archives if you can. I mean, I don't remember the year, but it was many years ago that we had Algy on. I think it was when he did his uh, his first Tank record after not being in Tank anymore. You know, he ke- he kept the name and retained it. There's also the other Tank, you know, but it's with all these two bands using the same name thing. It's just getting ridiculous. It's hard to keep track of them all. But, you know, Algy what to me is Tank, you know, not Mitucka, but they're out there playing under the Tank banner using the name, and so is Algy, at least recording records. Algy doesn't go out and play anymore. Uh, he's got some medical problems that prevent him from being out in the road. So he's basically just like writing music and recording in the studio. But the albums that he's been putting out have been phenomenal. Now you know why Tank sounded the way they did back in the day. And before that, we had a little Angelus Mangala, alias Mangala, excuse me over there. Forgive me, I'm still a little congested, and uh, my sinuses are pretty bad this week. But uh, Heaven and Hell was supposed to release that record, I want to say about four or five years ago, if I remember, uh, Bite the Metal, which came out in 1986. The only thing the band put out, they were out of North Carolina, uh, Jeremy from the label had a really great album cover too. Like, you know, when he does albums, if the old album covers were crappy, he always asks the band if they can make up new covers for them. And a lot of the bands go along with it because he has a great artist working for him and a photographer. They do beautiful, beautiful artwork. And the cover was phenomenal. And, you know, and the whole album was remastered and it sounded great, but it never came to be. You know, it was a lot of time, energy, work, and effort and money that went into that and never got released. I know why, but I can't say on the air why. But hopefully one day maybe we'll be able to work it out and get this album out there again because it really is a good record. You know, it's just a shame that, you know, you really can't get it anymore. Maybe you find it on eBay, somebody's selling it. It's one of those old rarities that if you can't get it, it's a great record. But I think there were only like 500 copies that really ever came out of the album back in the day. All right, let's play a couple of more songs. We're going to give Jim a call after that. And we'll talk up some Silent Storm and a lot of other stuff. Jim's been in the music business for a long time. He was in a lot of bands. We'll talk to him about as many as we can in the short time we have. We're not going to stay on the full two hours tonight. Probably going to wrap it up at 90 because I do have to get to work. And I want to stop by to see my buddy Tommy. Uh, as you know, I've been keeping up to date. He's been in the hospital for the last three weeks. Our former co-host and my best friend in the world. Uh, I didn't get to go up this week because I was sick. And I didn't want to you know, bring that into the hospital with me. Uh, but I heard that he was out of bed and in the chair. He's, uh, they took the tube out of his throat. They put a trach in him, so he still needs help breathing right now. But they said it'll take a few more weeks, and uh, hopefully it looks like you know, things are getting better. I know they put a pacemaker in him this week. Uh, so the best of luck with everything with Tommy. I'll see him tonight, and uh, I'll let you guys know next week exactly how things are. All right, how about some Grand Prix? Give me what's mine.
out of the Netherlands, Mandator. Before they became Mandator in 1987, they were Misto Disto. I kind of like that name better. They, they were formed around 82, 83, and I don't know why they changed the name. I, I couldn't remember that far back, but they did change it. But when they were Misto Disto, they put out a really great record called The Rules Have Been Disturbed. I remember picking up their first demo in 84, Heavy Guys Don't Look Back. Uh, some pretty good stuff over there. I heard they got back together as Mandator, about three years ago, but really haven't heard anything about recordings, music, playing live, or anything else. So I don't know where they are at this point, uh, but, you know, we'll see what happens. They were a good band, and I did enjoy them. Okay, we're going to give Jim a call right now. In the chat, we were talking about Tommy getting sponge baths from his male nurses and small penises. I'll tell you a quick story. When I had my uh, cancer surgery, I was 38 years old. I had to go for colon cancer, and the nurse came in to remove the catheter. So the other nurse was, that was working with her, she was training, came in and said, I'm having trouble getting the catheter out of the room next week. Can you come help me out? So I hit him out in the hallway talking. She's telling the other nurse, well, you know, he has a small penis, so we put a balloon up there to insert it to keep it open. She goes, oh, okay, that's why. So she comes like, and she takes out my catheter. I was like, do I have a balloon? She's like, no, you don't have a balloon. I was like, oh, thank God. She goes, I wouldn't brag. You don't have a balloon, but I wouldn't brag. <laughs> I always do it until today, all these years later. All right, let's get Jim on the line here. Let's get this interview going. Give me a second while we dial him up. And we'll talk to him. It takes forever to put these phone numbers in on this system over here. So uh, just bear with me, and we'll talk to him in five minutes. Well, actually, two seconds, but we'll just say five. One, and a doo-doo. All right, here we go. Hello? Hello? Jim, this is Mike. You're on the air. How are you? How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, How you man. Doing, Mike? It's a pleasure talking to you today. I'm doing great, man. It's good to have you on here. I know it's a little earlier out on the West Coast, but, you know, it's still a Sunday here in New York. Yeah, it's uh, oh, it's 3.30 in the afternoon. We're doing all right. All right, not bad. Hey, hey well, listen, I remember getting that embassy demo tape back in 1989, and uh, I, I kind of been following the band and you since then. And now it's all about Silent Stone for the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's taken off uh, pretty pretty good since we got we got signed back in December. The CD, the uh, the EP came out uh, on Stormspell Records worldwide, and since then things have been uh, kind of blowing up for us. So we're we're preparing for a for a full length uh, full length release right now. That's a great thing. The band started what about six or seven years ago. Um, yeah, 2013, I want to say, um, we played around live for about two years, maybe a little over two years, and we recorded the EP with the original lineup, and the band broke up while we were in the studio, so we wow. had already, yeah, we had already negotiated a deal, uh, from another label who ended up saying they didn't want the band if we weren't going to be an active, uh, touring, you know, live band. So we kind of got dropped, and I just put everything on the back burner. And as you know, I, I played in a couple other bands since then, and then uh, I sort of re- resurrected it last year and sent a sent a song out actually to just see if anybody might be interested in in uh, taking taking it on. And Stormspell uh, decided to put it out, and he doesn't do a lot of EPs, so I think that speaks volumes that that they they liked it enough to to put the CD out. 
Oh, that's a great thing for all of us. And you were saying labels didn't want to get involved because they felt you weren't going to be an active touring band. But let's be honest, how many bands today are really active in touring? I mean, you know, there's different levels. But a lot of bands don't go out there months on end anymore. It's just not a possibility for most bands. Yeah, I think it's. I think it has to do with whatever contract you have. If if your contract basically says that you need to be out moving product, they want you to be uh, doing doing shows so you can be selling the CDs because they don't want to invest into a, a, you know printing a bunch of copies if you're not actually out there moving them for the for the label. Does that make it more difficult for a band today? I mean, or is or is it better doing it on your own then? That way you can can complete all of everything. Well, it depends on if, like the classic bands that maybe get reissues and they put a few bonus tracks on. A lot of times, I don't think that it, live is that important because people are going to buy those buy those albums anyway because they want the reissue remaster with the bonus tracks or whatever. Um, but for a, for a new band coming out, yeah, I think it's probably a lot easier to to make a name for yourself if you're out there promoting and and playing shows and and putting putting the songs out live in front of people. I get that, but I think you guys have done a great job of promoting because, you know, you see the name all over the place. You do work hard to get the name of the band out there and to get into people's minds and toward their attention. Yeah, I, uh, I I definitely made my best effort when when the CD came out. I didn't pay a PR agency or any of that. I just basically sent out emails. Uh, I, I just Google, uh, you know, go on the Internet and find out what blog spots and and fanzines and radio shows were supporting traditional heavy metal. I'd send them an email and just say, we're, you know, we're a little band with this little release. Uh, it'd be great if you guys could give us a review or whatever. And just by me doing that alone and spending hours and hours doing that, I ended up with, I think we got about 25 record reviews and they've all been, uh, they've all been pretty favorable. Well, it is a great EP, and I'm looking forward to the full month, and I can't wait, especially if you guys follow suit, you know, musically, what you did with the last album. I think the next one's going to be tremendous. And people don't realize, if you go back to the scene till the 80s, you know, people say, like, oh, they've only been around a year or so, they get a new record out. They don't realize how many things you've been involved in for, like, you know, the last couple of decades in this business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I started playing gigs uh, in 89 when, uh, when the Emissary demo came out, and we played around and played my first paying gig in 89, and... Uh, right about that time, you know, metal, as you know, started kind of falling off in popularity. And, um, you know, through the 90s, I, I didn't do a whole lot. I took about a dozen years off and just didn't play any music at all because I always told people, I'd rather not play music than play music I hate. And I live in the Pacific Northwest, and I wasn't about to join a grunge band. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine the worst area to be in for if you were a metalhead back then, but... And you actually, did you start out as a drummer or were you originally always a singer? What's that? Did you start out as a drummer or were you always singing before you played the drums? Um, On that first demo, that first emissary demo, I'm the drummer and the singer. Uh, And then uh, we, we brought a drummer in and I, uh, I sang on the, the next demo. I was just a singer. And then that drummer left the band. And instead of bringing another drummer in, I just went back and, and sat on the drums and, and decided to just be the drummer and the singer. So I've, I've done that more often than just be a front man or just be a, a, a drummer. I've, I've probably done, you know, drumming and singing at the same time more than anything else, but I've got really bad tendonitis and it got to the point where uh, when I was reforming the band and bringing in new members, it was just going to be a lot easier if I actually hired uh, a drummer and then I, that way I can just focus on singing the material 
and try to just sing the best I can and be the best frontman I can be with a, a drummer in the band that's actually a better drummer than I was. I like the way you said I, back then I was just a singer. Doesn't everybody want to be the singer in a metal band? Come on. <laughs> you know, I think that there's a, there's a lot of good singers out there that maybe don't even like their voice. And then there's a lot of guys I've seen in a million club bands, you know, where the guy really wants to be a front man and it's just not that good, you know? So if you want to do it and you're kind of good at it at the same time, it's probably, you know, it's probably something you should, you should uh, pursue. <laughs> okay. I mean, what are the difficulties between being a drummer and a singer? Like I always felt Dan Beal from excited was one of the best to me. I mean, the guy's spot on with his vocals and his drumming, even when they're live. I mean, is there a challenge? Because, you know, drumming is a little different than playing guitar and singing. It's, a, it's much more physical. Yeah, it is. And I think because I did it from the beginning, it might have come a little bit more naturally to me. Um, if you've only played drums and haven't focused on vocal melodies or been just a vocalist and not focused on keeping the rhythm with your hands and feet, it's probably, it's probably a little bit of a challenge. Um, there's also the challenge of you know, you're sitting down, opening up your diaphragm, being able to you know, belt the way you need to uh, from behind a, a drum set and be able to hit as hard as you need to and be able to give equal attention to both tasks, you know? True. Uh, I know you said you took about a dozen, a dozen years off throughout the 90s. Uh, when did you decide it was time to get back involved in music again and what was the first project and then you started after that? Okay, uh, I, uh, I was working at a record store for about, I don't know, 20-some years, and uh, I ended up actually uh, buying the record store. I, I owned a record store for about four years. It was also an all-ages music venue. And while I was there, uh, Emissary had been broken up for, you know, I don't know, yeah, about, about 12 years. And the new wave of traditional heavy metal, which didn't have a name yet, Nobody was calling it that. Everyone was just talking about this new, you know, these new bands that kind of sound like 80s bands, you know, uh, were, were kind of coming around. Bands like White Wizard and Cauldron and Night Demon. And I was, I was booking Enforcer. I was booking all these bands uh, coming through my record shop. And right about that time, I started realizing uh, that there's, there's a demand for the music that I kind of always wanted to play anyway. And got in touch with me and wanted to start a band and uh, a few people were coming in and asking, Hey, when's Emissary going to get back together? We had a pretty good following regionally and it, it just sort of made sense. I knew the, you know, I knew the right guys. I had the material already. So we reformed Emissary uh, in, I want to say 2008. Uh, and I reformed it with some, with some new guys, uh, you know, rehearsed a bunch and then we played a handful of shows and, Everybody kind of went their, their separate ways. And then after that, um, I started Silent Storm with James Land, who came into my shop, and he was a 21-year-old kid that, uh, you know, long hair, had a flying V, and he was all into the same records that I was into, talking about Crimson Glory and all this crazy stuff, and wanted to form a traditional heavy metal band. So that was when we, uh, when we started Silent Storm. You know, a lot of 20-something-year-old kids, like, you know, a few years ago, came, you know, kind of came into the scene... You know, when grunge was popular, like, they came around after that. They're really good, but I find that more and more of them are more to the classic metal from the 80s and stuff that we played and grew up with. Was it difficult finding guys to play with that, you know, wanted to play, you know, the type of music you wanted to create? Yeah, it, it is. And we live in a, we have a pretty small music community here. So, you know how, what it's like in scenes. Whoever the biggest band is from that region, all the other local bands, 
kind of follow suit. We saw it with Motley Crue in the, the, on the Sunset Strip, and we saw it with all the grunge bands in Seattle. You know, so a couple of bands come out with a certain sound, and that becomes the sound from that that place. Well, I wasn't really into the sound of Southern Oregon uh, heavy metal, which is a lot of kind of Pantera, groove metal, uh, metal core, kind of tough guy stuff that was just it wasn't really my what, what I was I wasn't into that at all. I, so I wasn't going to join a band like that and try to make weightlifting music you know, with, with yeah. muted guitars and you know it's a lot of that just sounds like hip-hop with guitars you know what i mean the new metal and the, yep. so that that started happening around the area and you you put out an ad say you're trying to find a heavy metal band and you get guys together and all they want to play is stuff that sounds like i don't know tool or rage against the machine or something like that you know or, or death metal or whatever and you, they, they, you think you're going to be on the same page because maybe you've got you like the same the same Iron Maiden records, but then you get together and you go, no, we're definitely not on the same page. We're definitely trying to make yeah. two different styles of music here. Is it a generational thing you think, or it's just you know a trendy thing because they want to play what's happening? They're not looking to like play what they really feel. I think that it's probably not really. Um, yeah, it's. I think it is maybe what's popular, you know, because as soon as somebody hears, I don't know, when Lamb of God came out or whatever's popular in in the metal scene, everybody goes, oh, man, that's killer. I want to I want to have a band like that. And then if you're not doing what they're playing on the radio all the time, everybody, everyone thinks you're weird. You're like, I want to make a heavy metal band. And they're like, all right, cool. I'm into. And they name whatever's on the radio. And you go, no, no, no. I'm into like, you know. Tokyo Blade and Omen <laughs> naming like obscure stuff from the early eighties. And it was, it was difficult. And luckily I found, uh, I got a great bunch of guys now that they all are into uh, different styles of music. You know, I mean, we're all heavy metal fans, but my drummer, uh, he's, he's played in death metal bands and my lead guitar player, uh, he's a, he's a blues guy. My bassist is plays jazz and uh, my other guitar player, the our newest guitar player, uh, he also likes a lot of the kind of um, metal core kind of stuff. So we like traditional heavy metal, but each of us brings something else in to maybe uh, spice it up just a little bit. So occasionally you might hear a drum fill that you wouldn't hear in a standard traditional metal song or a, maybe a jazzy bass line or a bluesy guitar lick or whatever, just sprinkled in here and there just enough to kind of keep it interesting. I was going to say, do you have to limit, like, how far you go with things, or is anything kind of open? What's that now? I said, do you have to limit, like, how far you experiment on certain things to keep the sound storm sound the way it is, or is anything kind of open in the band to try out? Um, no, it, it's certainly limited, and we've, we've discussed all of that. I, I think with the EP, uh, we, you know, we definitely established what the sound of the band is and what the vibe of the band is. And it can grow out of that, but you don't want to, um, you know, you don't want to throw a, a power ballad on the, on a record next to a, I don't know, a, a death metal song or something. You know, you, you you can't go too far or the songs don't sound like they're by the same band. So that's, we're, we are conscious of that, making sure that we still stay within um, the, the Silent Storm sound. So anytime uh, we're writing stuff, it's always kind of like we say, does this, does it sound like us? Because occasionally maybe one of us will come up with an idea that it just doesn't sound like us. Maybe it sounds a little too, I don't know, like a little too hair metal or a little too um, modern or whatever. Um, 
just the kind of thing that, yeah, you, you just got to be conscious of that. And I think that uh, the bands that make it, the bands that actually are able to get out of the local band scene are the bands that pay attention to that and make sure that the, their music sounds like, every song sounds like it's by the same band. You don't want the songs to sound like each other, but you want them to sound like they're the same artist. I could agree with you more. It's like one of the biggest debates I think we have on the show when everybody comes on is like the way bands will jump on bandwagons, like depending on what's popular for that time. You know, you know, you go back to the 80s. Judas Priest went a little hand metal when that became big. Ozzy went a little hand metal when it became big. Anthrax became everything that became anything. When it was new metal rap, Anthrax followed every trend and every record of whatever was popular during that, you know, time they were putting out music. And I, I had like no respect for bands like that because they never stood true to their style or sound. And they say it's experimentation, but I never liked that. And I remember I had a guest on one time I was talking about it. He goes, yeah, but you know what? This is how they earn a living. This is how they make their bread and butter. You know, this is what they do to earn a living. So they're going to do what they can to keep that income coming in. They have responsibilities. And I kind of got that. But as a fan, I want my bands that I'm into to stay true to their sound. It doesn't have to be the same like you said, but I want to say I know that sounds strong when I hear the album. Yeah, I, and I think that we all understand that from, you know, I guess to put it, in a way that maybe some people understand from a business point of view, you know, we want to, we, personally, we want to like the material, but we also want it to make sense. We want people to hear it and be able to recognize it. And there's a reason bands like, uh, I don't know, ACDC or whatever are able to just keep making records is that people know what to expect from them. We know ACDC when we hear it, ACDC comes out with a new record. We know what it's going to sound like before we hear it yet. We still sure. like it because it's already decided what, what their limitations are. And a guy in ACDC, if he shows up with a guitar riff that sounds like Iron Maiden, the other guys in ACDC are going to shoot him down and go, that doesn't sound like us. It's a great riff. That would be great in another band, but that doesn't work in our band. And we, there's a lot of discussion like that. We will, if we do experiment a little bit, we'll kind of make sure, like, you know, we, we tape it and listen to it back and we go, does it still feel like us? Does it still sound like us? We don't want something to... I think that a lot of the bands that don't that aren't able to break out of the local band scene, a lot of bands that get that stuff wrong. You'll see them and they look like a black metal band, and then the album cover looks like a industrial record, and the logo looks like a death metal band, but they're called you know Nasty Tricks or something, so some glam rock thing. And then the song titles yeah. are power metal song titles, and you listen to it, and the production, it, everything says a different thing because everybody had a different idea and they just wanted to give everybody what they wanted and nobody was you know pulling them into one thing and saying no it all needs to have a thread that runs through it that says the same thing the artwork needs to look the same way that the record sounds and the the logo and the the color choices and the photography and people can think that's contrived i think it's just smart i I really like a record that comes out that makes sense like that i couldn't agree with you more i mean there was a time when you know the record companies were king and, you know, they had A&R people that worked with the bands and a lot of a lot of different levels of management that, that had that job to make sure everything was cohesive. Whether the bands liked it or not, I mean, they had to go along with it because they were signed to majors, making, you know, getting a lot of money. Do you think that the business part of it maybe kind of overrules the music part of it sometimes? Or I know it's a different environment today for bands and music. The record companies don't have the pull of the power that they once did, especially for the metal community. But do you think that, you know, the business side sometimes affects the music side? I think back when big labels were doing million-dollar contracts and all of that, then, yeah, I, I definitely think it mattered because we saw what happened with the hair metal thing. 
And I'm a big fan of all that hair metal stuff. But at the end of the 80s, it did get to the point where it kind of seemed like they were just sticking a guy in the right costume and giving him the right hairdo and saying, you got to write a song about this and it has to be in this key and this tempo. And it all just became kind of, after you hear the 50th song that sounds like cherry pie, you're going to get sick of it no matter how much you love it. Um, so anymore, if bands are doing it themselves, maybe it's not going to come off as contrived. It's not a, it's not a bunch of suits sitting around a table making the decision okay, well, the blonde guy has to play a black guitar and the black-haired guy has to play a blonde guitar <laughs> and yeah, you got to yeah. part your hair on this side you got to part your hair over there and, you know, you you got to be the serious one and you got to be smiling. And you know, when it gets to that point, then, yeah, you're pretty much a boy band. It's a crazy business, I tell you, but I'm glad that things are better today in a way where bands have more control and say of what they do. I know, like, the money's not there like it used to be, but it's nice that the bands, you know, kind of drive the ship right now and they, they set their own destiny. And, and you know, Tim, I, I, I think I heard last year that you were in Cruella for a little while. I've had Roger on the show, but I don't remember you playing with him. Was that last year or the year before that? Uh, that was last year. He actually, um, I listened to that interview. He mentioned me in the interview uh, when you talked to him. When he, when you asked him about the, the two-on-one reissue, that was, that, was, yeah. he, that was him and I that put that out. Okay, I, I, he, I, he didn't say your last name, did he? Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, what it, wow, what had happened was, fun. I mean, yeah, in the in a nutshell, uh, I was a, you know I was a kid living in Southern Oregon. They were a big band from Portland. Their cassettes were readily available, you know, in the record stores here. I think I own two different versions of Vengeance's Mine. They came to town, and I wanted to see them real bad. But they were playing in the next town over, 45 minutes away. My parents weren't going to drive a 14 year old kid you know, 45 minutes to the next town to go to a heavy yeah. metal concert and, you know, and then come pick me. So they just, they said no. And I, my whole life I was like, man, I never got to see Cruella. And I love that album. And I, I, they were supposed to be my first, first concert. And my, my first concert ended up being Y&T. So uh, all these years later, you know, I, uh, I, I meet Roger and I had a small reissue label uh, for a little while. And we put that two on one out Um I, you know, I, I was the one that talked him into that. Like, no, you can put both albums on a CD and all this reissue stuff's really happening right now in about 98. Um, and then we went our separate ways and he got an offer to get the band back together. And basically he, you know, he contacted the original members. The original singer didn't want to do it. So uh, he contacted me and said, you know, I think that you're the guy that could represent the Vengeance is Mine material. So it's 25 years later and I end up on a stage. I'm in Cruella and I'm opening for Y&T. It was totally surreal. I told the story on stage that night. Uh, I got a big, big, uh, big cheer out of it. You know, it was like right on. So uh, yeah, I, I only played three or four shows with those guys. I was in the band for like about eight months, and they they live far farther away, so I, it's about a four and a half hour drive to even get there for rehearsal. And I can only do that so long. You know, it's expensive and time consuming. They needed somebody local in the band, and the the guy that's singing for them now, Tony's a much better fit for Cruella than, than I ever was. And they've got a new record coming out too, um, on the same label on Storm Spell. So we're label mates. Yeah. Metal Vengeance with Tony Profit involved. Cause yeah, I'm sorry. I missed on the schedule fly. I know you put out, you put out the double CD. I, I thought you meant you were singing on it. Cause I don't remember you. That's what I meant to say. Was singing on it. Not, not playing, you know, in the band. Uh, oh no, no. I, you I put didn't the, record you, anything you put, in the band. You put the CD out, but yeah, that's what I was confused about. I was like, I don't remember, and saying you were singing on it, but you you put the album out that was on the USA label. 
Yeah. Um, what ended up happening was when when they got approached to do the reissues, when Heaven and Hell came out with the reissue CDs, uh, they started getting, you know, Roger started getting phone calls. Hey, if you get the band back together, you could play this show and this show, you know, and uh, he decided to put it back together. And like I said, he couldn't get the original singer back and got, got me uh, as a vocalist. And we played the Northwest Metal Fest with Wild Dogs and all these uh, accused and Northwest bands. And that was an absolute blast. There's footage, I think, on YouTube uh, of me singing with them. And we just, all we did was the Vengeance is Mine material. Um, and then we opened for YNT and we played another show here in Medford. And again, it was, it was too much of a, too, too far away. We were, I was just too far away. Uh, so I just yeah. decided, you know, yeah, I think, I think I should probably. And that was, it was funny because people, when I was singing for Cruella, people were coming up to me saying, Hey, when's the Silent Storm record going to come out? You know, something I recorded two years earlier and it never came out. So I was like, okay, maybe it's time to put that record out. So got signed and that's why I reformed the band with the with the new guys. Yeah, there were a lot of great bands that came out of the Portland area. Even if you go, you know, up to Seattle, Washington, that whole area in the northwest had a lot of great bands back in the day. I mean, I know you said it's a small metal scene in Portland today, but is it is it active enough to keep the band busy that you find yourself having to venture out when you want to play? Well, if you're in Portland, then you can probably do pretty well. I'm in southern Oregon, so I'm almost on the California border. So I'm down in, okay. you know, where, yeah. right, right when you cross, and it's like, welcome to Oregon. You know, it's the first place you hit is Medford, and that's where I live. And they live up at the top of Oregon. Uh, we're almost to Washington. So that whole Portland, Seattle area scene, there was great bands back in the day, Sanctuary and, and Queensryche and TKO and Q5. All those bands were doing a bunch of big shows up there. And it's still, it's a, it's still a great scene. There's a, a bunch of current bands that are amazing from the Portland area. But because I'm, uh, the town I live in is exactly between Portland and San Francisco. So when you're, when you're going up I-5, we're dead center, uh, which is great yeah. for a lot of bands, you know, stopping here because they, you know, it's a, it's a long drive from Portland to San Francisco and they'll stop here halfway and play. And a lot of times if, you know, if it's a, 80s metal band or a melodic heavy metal band. Luckily, Silent Storm, you know, gets the uh, opening slot a lot of times because it's it just makes sense. Sure. Is is there enough going on to keep you guys playing out? I mean, or you know, you find a kind of a uh, kind of light. Uh, I would say a little bit light uh, locally, but we have ventured out. We have played up there, um, played uh, in in Northern Oregon, and we've gone down to. Uh, to Northern California and played a few shows down there. We just opened up for uh, Lita Ford and Kip Winger here in town. Um, and two weeks before that, we played with Dokken. So again, you know, when the, when the 80s bands come through, it's almost always us that, that gets the call to, to do the opening slot. But yeah, once the, once the full length is out, we're definitely going to have to start venturing out and playing further away from home. That'll be a easy, I think, when the album is out, more people hear it and the word will get out about the band. I mean, Lita Ford, how's she looking today? Is she looking all right? <laughs> she looks great for her age, man, you know? And she sounded great, and she and she played great. Uh, it was the band, the band sounded good. Um, it was, you know, a lot of people were at the show. It was a lot of fun, you know? I mean, I was a, I was a fan back, back in the 80s. You know, I had all those, those Metal Edge magazines, and I had her picture on my wall, so... That was a lot of fun. Our guitar player, our lead guitar player, uh, Michael Ian Brisbane, auditioned for Lita about five years ago, 
and it came down to him and Patrick, and Patrick got the gig. So he said, uh, man, you know, we're opening for leaderboard now, and he goes, I, I don't know if I'm going to like this guy, <laughs> the guy that got the, got the gig instead of me. But then they hung out and just were talking about guitars and gear and amps and just, you know, the, loving loving hanging out together as guitar players. And, and, and Michael stayed friends with Lita, so they got to hang out after the show, and it was, it was a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. So, Jim, with the new record, uh, what, what are we looking at? Maybe this year, next year? Uh, we go in for scratch tracks uh, first week of August, and then uh, after that, we you know we're gonna go in and gradually do you know each track. You know how everything's recorded separately, so then we do drum tracks and then go in and add the guitars and then add the vocals and listen back to rough mixes, et cetera, et cetera. We're uh, we're planning on uh, 2019. Yes, we're, we're planning on before the end of the year. And what happened was after the after the EP came out, tons of people, lots of record reviews, uh, and people were saying, "Man, uh, you know, we want to hear these songs recorded by the new lineup." So uh, we're actually redoing the the four originals from the EP. We're not doing the instrumental. We're not doing the Axe Man because it's an Omen cover, and I don't want to pay for it again. <laughs> Love the song, but you know, when you do a cover tune, you gotta you gotta pay for it. So we're doing uh, Witch's Blood and Betrayal, and Eye of the Storm, and Patriots of Metal on the full length, and then adding our new songs, Beware the Blood Moon, March 4th, um, Shadow in the Dark, and we got a couple other new ones that we're adding, so it's going to be, uh, the plan is right now an 11-song full-length album. It runs probably going to run three forty five minutes. Wow, that's going to be great. You know, it was a great cover of The Accent. Not many bands would cover an Omen song. I was, a, I was a huge fan back in the day, and it was just one of those songs that I don't know, it just spoke to me every time I heard it. You know, I can't hear it enough. Just, I just always loved that song. And when we were trying to pick a cover tune, uh, funny story, the uh, the label that we that was going to put uh, the EP out initially, they had another band on their label that did an, uh, an Omen cover. And we'd been doing it live. And we said, oh, man, it must be Destiny. Those guys, they have a band already that's doing an Omen song, so we need to do an Omen song. So we recorded it in the studio. Ended up getting dropped from that label, <laughs> but yeah, we kept it on the record. And it seems like almost everybody that talks about the record talks about that cover. Really likes that cover. Even Kenny Powell from Omen told me that it made him proud. That's pretty cool. I mean, Battle Cry was a great record. You know, the first Omen record was an amazing album back in 1984, and you guys definitely do it justice. And you know, there's a good shot that you might be singing for Omen one day anyway, because Kenny goes through singers like every couple of months. So there's a good shot that you might be up uh, for that job soon in the in the future. I don't know if that's going to happen, but, uh, yeah, um, I, I know we've gone through a few singers. You know, he had George from uh, from Aska singing for a while, who's in Clovenhuff now. Yeah, yeah, George is in Clovenhuff. He's doing a great job there. They let an American into the band, so I don't know what they're thinking, but, but Lee Payne's a great guy, and it did work out. That last Clovenhuff record really was pretty good. Yeah, the newest stuff I've heard, uh, I think that they got a singer that finally sounds as much like J.D. Kimball as a human being can possibly sound. True. Yeah. I played it for people and said, "Listen to this," and they go, "Well, yeah, what?" And I'm like, "No, that's not. That's not the original version. Listen, it's it's the new guy." And they're like, "No way, that's him. That's JD Kimball." It's like, no, he's he's definitely doing justice to that old material. And I, I love Battle Cry. I still love Battle Cry. I can listen to it front to back anytime and uh, enjoy it. The later records too, but definitely Battle Cry. Uh, you know, I have a soft spot for that for that first record. I agree with that. Jim, I'm going to cut you loose because I want to play some songs. We're going to wrap up the show in about 20 minutes or so. But I tell you, when the new record comes out, 
come back on. We'll promote it. We'll do this all over again. We'll let people hear, you know, what Silent Storm has been up in the last year. Right on, Mike. Thank you so much for this, man. Uh, thanks to the, you know, the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show for the support. And, uh, and yeah, uh, you'll be hearing from us uh, hopefully, hopefully soon. Uh, I can't wait. Jim, you have a great afternoon over there. Thank you for taking the time to come on here and talk with me today. I do appreciate it. Right on. Thanks, Mike. Take care, Jim. All right, let's jump into some Silent Storm right now. I don't see if I could pick up the emissary. I have the demo tape. If I could transfer the track before the end of the show, I'll get something on off of that too. But let's go do some Silent Storm right now, and I'll see if I can get that on by the end of the show. I haven't been down here in a while in the studio, so I didn't really have a chance to uh, transfer many songs from CD and cassette, but here's Patriots of Metal.
Demons and Wizards. John Schaefer's got the band together right now. They're out on the road. Uh, they reissued those albums. Maybe we'll get a new one in the future. Some pretty good stuff over there. All right, let me see what we can do right now. Let's jump into one more tune. How about, well, that's a long one. I got two long ones in a row. So maybe we'll, you know what, let's do Merciful Fate right now. Here's Satan's Fall, and then we'll save him forces for maybe the end of the show.
Onslaught with Power Plays from Old School Onslaught. It's been about six years since the band had a new record out. I mean, they did release a single this year. I don't know if I played it or not when I received it from AFM. I'm sure I did, but uh, it's been six years since the full-length record. Maybe we'll get one in 2020. We'll see. You never, ever know. I was just reading out Joey DeMeo. He's pissed off. He says he's going to sue the promoters from Hellfest. You thought it died down, but he went out and gave like an hour-long speech I heard during the show in uh, Turkey the other night. Uh, they didn't play Hellfest. Without, they did play Hellfest years ago, if I remember. So, I mean, they were dealing with the same people playing basically the same show on the same stage. So I don't know what happened this time. That didn't happen the last time. They say that the promoters didn't honor the contract. Now, I don't know what that means. Did they not get paid the full amount? Did they not get something they were promised? Uh, but I know, like, you know, uh, pink M&M's in the tray. I, you know, not honoring a contract can have a lot of different meanings to it. Were they not getting bottled water that you wanted? Or there's something more serious about, you know, which would be the money, would be the worst thing, I, I, I think. You know, but that festival's been around for a long time, and a lot of bands play there. And many were played there before, so nobody really knows what happened. But Joey DeMeo was pissed off. He says, the truth of the matter is we have filed a lawsuit against Hellfest organizers. We don't fuck around. People try to fuck with our fans. Nobody's going to push Manowar around. It sounds like the lyrics to one of their songs, you know? <laughs> so maybe there will be a song in there somehow. But, I mean, who is Manowar today? It's Eric Adams and Joey. That's it. They've got some young kid playing drums and some young kid playing guitar because they're a child pornographer guitar player who's in jail right now. So they're talking an awful lot of shit. That's something Manowar has done since day one. They're talking about how they went to the North Pole and they played for 650 people. Not because there weren't a lot of people there, you know, because there's only 2,000 people that live in the town, and 650 of them came to see Manowar. That's an astonishing number of people that are into Manowar and heavy metal for a town that has only 2,000 people. And you figure half that population is probably over 60 or 70 anyway, but most of them went to go see Manowar, you know? But uh, he was like, we played in front of seven people during our first show. He just talks so much shit, it's not even funny. You know, I mean, it actually is funny. That's the sad part about it. But Manowar was one of those bands that, you know, I love the first record, you know, I, I remember getting that when it came out, and, you know, uh, Hail to England and Battleheads, they were great albums. Even the fourth record, I kind of got into it, but by that time, I was like, uh, this thing is getting played out now. It was like the same imagery, the same songs, writing about the same stuff. And now 30 years later, maybe 20 records later, if you don't count the ones that they re-recorded, very badly and very poorly, in my opinion, you know, it's the same songs they're doing over and over and over again. We would just talk with Jim about bands that, you know, have the same sound. We would, like, try to write something different. But, be, I mean, Manwood just wrote the same fucking song over and over again for 30 years. And not even with a, a whole new title sometimes. Just titles with the words changing on it. But, you know, like I said, first couple of records, classic albums all the way. I think the only way I can get back at the Manwood is that they got Carl Kennedy back in a, in a lion skin skirt and put him back up on stage to play with the band again like in the old days. All right, let's get back to the music here. How about we do uh, some kick gloves? Feel the fire. Thank you. 
I mean, you talk about a band that completely disappeared and fell off the radar. At least I don't know where they are. That was Possession with the Lady in White. Uh, I know they're out of Chicago. That came off the Iron Tyrants compilation record. Um, after that, I, I don't remember anything about these guys ever again. I mean, you can't even find them on the internet when you go looking around. So uh, if anybody knows anything about them or where they are, drop me a line and let me know because I would love to get them on the show one day and talk to them. It's always fun digging up these bands. And a lot of times you have them on here. I really don't have nothing to say. I've been trying to find somebody from Kid Gloves and Alias Mangle for a long time. Well, Alias Mangle I can get in touch with, but I haven't. But uh, I will. And Accident Fright. We're looking for some of these bands to get on the show. We'll see what we can do. All right, let's jump into one more tune. Here's High Rocks on Holy Sacrifice. <laughs>
confession. One of the best DPs I bought back in the day. Only the strong will survive. I would love to see that classic lineup get back together. Mike is still out there performing. When he does go out, he does a lot of the stuff from like all the bands he's been a part of. The Man in the USA, the Loudness, the Obsession through the solo records. So you get a little bit of everything, but there was nothing better than those first two Obsession albums. And I'd love to see that classic lineup reunite, go out there, just do a couple of shows, maybe some of the festivals. It'd be well worth seeing. That's just my opinion over there. Uh, we're going to do one more song to wrap it up here tonight. But right before that, Anvil Chorus, The Never Ending Night, and Hyrax, Unholy Sacrifice. Next week, who do we have on the show? Ben Sargent from Health Addiction, this killer hard rock band out of England. They just released a new record. We're talking to him next week live. And I believe the first week of August, we're off because I'm going to be going away for the weekend with my lovely wife. We're going to be seeing Frankie Valley live. I'm trying to get in all these old-timers before they move on to the next phase of their life, which is death. I'm trying to get them all in to see them before that time comes. So we won't have a show the first week of August. When we come back, John DeLeon from Attila. We spoke to Vincent Manfrey right before he passed away from the band, and we're going to have him on John next week, and that should be, well, two weeks from now, and that'll be a great conversation. So come back and join us next week. Like I said, it's Ben Sargent from Hell's Addiction. We're going to wrap it up here tonight with some Witch Killer. Beg for mercy. I'll see you guys next Sunday night. Thanks for joining me like always. I appreciate it. Take care, everybody. Have a great week.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.